I am so delighted to have this opportunity to uh, speak to you all. I was um, really looking forward to coming and gathering together with you in the in the building. Um, but like all other churches, we're slowly becoming accustomed to realizing that um, it is a real privilege, actually, to be able to speak to you in your homes and with your families. So I'm delighted that I get a chance to do that today. Um, what I'm doing this morning is I'm continuing on in the series that you're in, um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and today's principle is the one of receiving the gifts of limits. Um, one of the most difficult lessons um, I think I've ever had to learn in my life, or certainly in my Christian life, um, is that I am not God. And you're saying, seriously, Michelle, you had to learn that lesson. But no, I think that for many of us, how we live our lives is we live our lives in a way that we imagine that our whole worlds depend on us for their survival. Now, we don't imagine, unless we're a complete, a complete egomaniac, we don't imagine that the whole world and the whole universe depends on us, but we can have this view of our lives that the people in our lives and in the world that we inhabit, that their survival depends on us. And we tend to take on responsibility for other people that's not ours to carry. And we strive and we push ourselves beyond what we can do. And we have these unreachable expectations, both of ourselves and of the other people who are around us. And I think as Christians, we are the very, very worst at this. We drive ourselves. We, we drive ourselves beyond our natural limits. And then we feel guilty that we're not loving people enough or not doing enough or not rescuing enough. And I remember the sermon really clearly about 20 years ago in uh, the Edgewater Peach Room Hotel in Port Stewart, where I first heard um, <clears throat> my pastor at the time, Alan, say these words, you are not God. And I remember at the time um, thinking about all the plates that I was spinning and all the things that were going on in my life and sitting listening and, and then this 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 message very clearly of, you know, you don't have to keep spinning all those plates and you definitely don't need to keep spinning the plates of other people. You are not God. You do not hold other people's lives in your hand. Only God does that. And, you know, to be honest, I was offended. I could hear myself in my head thinking, well, that's all right for you. That's okay for you to say. You don't have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and on and on, going on in your life right now. That's easy for you to say. But if I stop spinning this and that plate hits the ground, then I'm going to feel responsible and blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of this internal conversation and getting a bit miffed, I sensed the nudge of the Holy Spirit asking me, what was annoying me so much? What was annoying me so much? And, and maybe he began to nudge me a bit further that maybe some of these things in my life that were causing me to live in a way that was so frantic and overwhelmed weren't mine to carry in the first place. And that I just needed to trust him to be God and let him be God in my life and in the life of those that I loved. Really difficult lesson, but a hugely important one. I want us to look at the book of John, if you want to turn with me. And this is a, a book that's a biography written about Jesus. And um, a wee bit of background to our text today. The priests and the Levites, they are like the religious police working around the temple in Jerusalem. And they hear about John and they hear about the success and influence that this man is having among the people. 
so they decide that they're going to go out and visit him. Um, now John, he was a, a bit of a character. He uh, had lived out in the wild. It says he ate locust and honey, wild honey. They decided to go and check him out and see uh, kind of what the crack was with him. And he's, John's outside the city and he's doing what he's called to do. And the people are coming and they're multitudes to see what's happening. And they begin to question John so that they can report back. And we're going to join the story at verse 19. And says this, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, Then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John is saying, It's my job to get people ready for the Messiah who's coming. That is my job. And then on down in verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here we find John, he, is, um, he sees that there's Jesus coming along and all of a sudden he's like, here he is. This is the one I am meant, the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's saying, this is, this is him. This is the Messiah. He was here before me from the creation of all the world. This is him and he is now here. And then down to verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now the very next day, this is, jo this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So here we find John and he is with two of his disciples. And Jesus is coming along and coming passing by. And he says, look, here is the Lamb of God. Here is the one that I've been telling you about. And immediately the two disciples that are with him, John's disciples, who he has been mentoring and who's been pouring into, they all of a sudden, they go, oh, well, then we're going to follow Jesus. And they walk off and they leave him. And they said, Rabbi, which means teachers, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So these two disciples, they leave John, and they become Jesus' disciples. Now, for just a moment, let us feel how that felt. See, very often we can read these familiar stories to many of us in the Scripture, and we forget that these are real people in the middle of it. How would you feel? How do we think that John felt in that moment when his disciples leave him? Well, if we go across to chapter 3 and verse 22, we might find a bit of our answer of how John felt. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Arian near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. 
An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is joining him. So first, John's disciples abandoned him to follow Jesus. And now we read that everyone, possibly thousands of people who'd been flocking to John, are now following Jesus. Now listen to John's response. I love this response and I want us to let this settle into our hearts and our minds. In fact, maybe this would be a great verse for us to learn. John 3, verse 27, and it says this. To this John replied, a person can only can receive only what is given them from heaven. I'm going to say that again. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. John is amazing. John is flying. His ministry is growing and growing fast. He's seeing thousands come to him. His job is to prepare to get people ready for Jesus. Then Jesus comes along and people leave John and he's out of a job. But what does John do in this moment? He doesn't seem to be surprised. He doesn't seem to be bitter. He fully accepts it because he's known all along that this was his job. He's known all along that this is what he was called to do. Let's pause for a moment. When we see other people's success, what is our reaction? When we witness success all around us, when we see other people doing well, how do we react to that? And I don't mean how do we react on the outside and that that we react in the way that we think we should react. I mean, what goes off in our heart when we see other people thrive and succeed? Do we become critical? Do we um, become bitter? Do we allow um, jealousy to rise up in our hearts? Or do we celebrate their success? Do we um, celebrate when we see people thrive and see them uh, accomplish what their heart has always desired that they would accomplish? Pay attention to the emotions that you feel and you see when you hear and see a people's success and see them flourish, pay attention to how you feel about that. Whenever people come to us and begin to celebrate their stories and begin to tell us about something amazing that's happened to them, are we sitting and listening and just waiting so that we can think, well, I've done as good as that. Would you hear my story? Um, do we try to compete with their celebration story? Do we try to compete with how successful they are in their lives? Or do we just stop and celebrate with them? Do we encourage them? Jesus once told a parable of a story about a master that went away and he gave to his workers bags of gold. He was going away and he, before he went, he decided he was going to give his workers gold. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. 
Now, if you were one of the people who got the one bag of gold, how would you feel about the person who got the five bags? Right? If you are insecure, it would drive you crazy, wouldn't it? You would be thinking, hold on a minute, why am I only getting one bag of gold when this other person is getting five bags? Who is, I mean, you may even start to question the person, your boss, and think, well, who are you to decide whether I get one bag or five bags of gold? And this parable that Jesus tells, when Jesus tells us a parable, he's telling us, he's wanting us to learn a truth about his kingdom. Parables are stories that are full of truth about the kingdom of God. And if we bring it into today's world, how do we feel when we see people's lives on social media? How do we feel when we see um, other people that maybe we work with, people that we've grown up with, and we begin to see that their ability is greater than ours in certain areas in their life? How does it feel when we realize that in a certain um, area in our lives, we're a one-bag person and we're surrounded by five-bag people? Or there's other people in our lives that are three-bag people. How do we respond to that? Do we respond with insecurity? Do we respond with jealousy? Or do we celebrate the person who's the five-bag person? John fully celebrated Jesus' success. And he was able to stay emotionally healthy. But how did he manage that? How was he able to say, that joy is mine and is now complete when he saw Jesus step into his ministry. How was he able to do that? Well, I think there's three things that we can learn from John. The first one is he knew his identity. The second thing is he knew what he was called to do. And the third is he knew his limitations. John knew who he was. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. They came to him and they said, are you the Messiah? He said, no. Are you Elijah? No. Are you a prophet? No. His identity was grounded in scripture and in knowing himself. John references Isaiah 40 when he says, I am the voice calling in the wilderness. He allowed scripture to define him. He allowed his identity to be formed in scripture and in knowing God and recognizing the voice of God. I imagine myself, when did John read that scripture or hear that scripture again and when was the first time he went aha that is who I am that is who I am called to be he knew who he was and he knew who he was not so often in this world that we live in we live these frantic exhausting lives trying to live other people's lives and we stray away from our own identity. We fall into the comparison trap way too many times. Brennan Manning says this, living out of the false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and no one will know us. I wanna say that again. Living out of a false self creates a compulsive desire, a drive to present a perfect image to the public so that everyone will admire us and no one will know us. This has never been more relevant than today in our digital addicted culture. Now, before I go on, I am not um, 
I'm not against social media, especially not right now. I am so thankful that I get to connect with people through video calls, that I get to preach via video, that I um, get to have Zoom call, prayer meetings, and all those things that social media and this digital age means for us. I think it's a wonderful thing. But there is a flip side. There is a dark side to it. And if all our life and all the life that we portray to people is this perfect life, so we want people to admire us, then we become even more fearful that people will see the reality behind the screen and no one gets to truly know us. If we are obsessed with having our hundreds of followers and our carefully created Instagram account so that people will only see these, um, the showreel of our life, instead of the reality of what's going on in our lives, then we get to keep people at a distance. We get to keep people out here and we never become known. And that is such a lonely place to be. There was a famous rabbi called Zhuzha. And before his death, Rabbi Zhuzha said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zhuzha? Today, this is a prophetic moment I feel right now. I sense the Holy Spirit. For some of you, he's saying right now, he's saying your name, I need you to be you. I don't need you to be the person you most admire. I need you to be you. Why, I hear the voice of the Father saying, why are you not Michelle? Why are you not, you fill in the blank of your own name. You see, you were intricately formed and knit together in your mother's womb by the hand of God. God made you and the world needs you to be you. What we learn from John is that when we live our life as our true self and our own identity, there's a freedom to what God has created you to do. When we fully embrace who we are and we step into all that God has created us to be, it is the freest place in the world. We become ensnared and trapped if we are constantly, constantly looking for affirmation from the outside or we're constantly feeling this pressure to be more like ABC. But there's this freedom when we live and thrive and the identity and who God has made us to be. It's too easy in this online world to compare ourselves to those we see. We can easily say, I wish I was more creative like Connie, or I wish I was more of a talented musician like Jamie, or I wish I was more successful like so-and-so. I wish, I wish. And I find that easy. I can easily slip into that trap too, especially in my world and in the world of ministry. Um, I am surrounded by incredible, incredible five-bag leaders, use that analogy, and speakers who are amazing. Um, and, you know, there came a time in my life whenever I had to silence the insecurities so that I could allow my voice to be heard. Because if I was just going to feel insecure because I wasn't a five-bag person and I wasn't happy with my two bags... And I was going to allow that, that I constantly looking at other people and thinking, no, I need to be more. I need to have more before I can reopen my mouth and I can use my voice for what God has called me to do. Um, I, I had to silence those insecurities and decide, no, I am going to accept the gifts that God has given me and I'm going to steward them well. I had to accept that I am not Christine Kane as much as I admire her. 
And I am not Priscilla Reed as much as I love her, but I am Michelle Scott. And I need to steward the gifts that God has given me and use my voice in the way he's given it for me to use and to step into the places that he has opened the doors for me to step into. Please do not allow your insecurity, the temptation of the comparison trap to stop you from knowing who you are and what God has put in your life. Learn to celebrate each other's successes and strengths. There's nothing more that I love to do now than to cheer on those who I already know are going to go further down the road from me. And maybe this is a stage in life. At 48, I'm in a different stage and and part of my life where I love to watch young leaders rise up and I love to cheer them on. And I I love to see already the trajectory where they're going on. Um, I suppose it's a bit of um, legacy that I want to leave. I truly want the leaders and the people that are coming after me, my children, obviously, but other leaders around me, I want their, my, my ceiling to be their floor. I want them to, to go further than I could ever do. But what about you in your life, in your sphere? Do you feel um, intimidated whenever you're around other people that are, are more talented than you? Do you allow your insecurities to rise up and you back off? Or do you encourage them? Do you speak words of life? Do you give away your best to others, knowing that they're going to go further than you have? You know, do we limit our lives and the circles in our lives to to just people who we perceive that we're better than? Or do we allow ourselves to be around people that that are five-bag people and silence our insecurities in those moments? You see, when you realise that all that you have has been given to you by the Father, it totally changes the perspective. We want to be good stewards of what he has given us, not be looking to our left or our right to see what others have and, and compare ourselves to that. You see, if we can learn to quieten these insecurities and we, we can then walk in our identity and how God has called us to be, and then we find this freedom, and in this freedom we find that there's power to walk in it. The second thing is calling. John knew who he was, and he knew what he was called to do. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He knew exactly what he was called to do. And you know what? When we know who we are, when we're sure in our identity, then we can function and do what the Father has gifted us and wired us to do. And that is so important. In God's eyes, what we do has value. Yes, who we are on the inside is important. And in fact, what we do pours out of that place. But what we do, we were created to be people of purpose, um, to be people of um, that we find joy in what we do and what we put our hands to. Our vocation is really important. And God has given you a unique personality, skills, natural ability, spiritual gifts, relationships that shape you and and that get you up in the morning to do what you need to do. So you can imagine like tomorrow morning, whatever your day looks like, I don't know what your Mondays look like right now, especially our Mondays maybe look quite different than what they used to. You know, whether at the moment you are able, you are still able to get up and go to your place of work, Maybe you're working from home, 
maybe you're on furlough, some of you are juggling um, trying to um, parent your children as well as uh, homeschool them in the middle of all this. Maybe you're working from home and parenting and trying to do all of that. Maybe you're studying, um, whatever. Wherever that looks like, your Monday to Friday, your work life currently looks like, you bring the kingdom of God into that. For too long, the church has modelled and taught that ministry happens only in this slot on a Sunday or maybe in a midweek prayer meeting. This is what ministry looks like. It's in this square and it's only for the few, not the many. But I begin to think about this and I think about how important people that I know and how they know that they are called to what um, their profession, what they put their hands to Monday to Friday. I think of friends who are teachers who, who have the, the power in their words to speak life or death over their, their pupils. Um, I, I know that there's, there's people and they, they pour in the Holy Spirit. They pray in their classrooms before their, their children come in. They speak words of life and encouragement into children's lives who hear it from nowhere else. That is ministry. I know people who are creative and they get to dream and design and do amazing things. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, they bring beauty and function to our world that, is, that is just reflects the glory of God. I know people who work in the caring profession, who are counsellors, who are nurses, who get to minister to people at their, their source of great pain and distress and they get to bring words of life and hope. They get to be compassionate. That is ministry. See, it's not about the title of the job, it's what we do and what we bring to it. And when we begin to see whatever our job is, whatever it is that we need to do to pay the bills, we begin to see that as a vocation, as this is an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God to wherever you are all the time, then everything changes. I am loving, one of the things I am loving about this lockdown, and there's many things, initially at the beginning I was not loving, and I must admit I was fighting it a lot. And I was finding it hard to find any joy or any good in the midst of this. But one of the things that I am absolutely loving about this season is that it has scattered the church into our homes. Our homes where we live have become temples. They have become places of worship. They have become places of encounter. My prayer is that we would contain, that we would not contain the Spirit of God to these moments that where we sit and watch a video and we join together in these services. It's not that we would contain God to those moments, but that daily we would have our homes as a place of encounter for God and the Holy Spirit. And then it would spill out. He would spill out beyond just our homes into the streets and the places where we live that we would begin to um, intercede for our neighbours and the streets and the places where we live. One of the cool things about lockdown is that um, I began walking more, which is good for my health as well. But I uh, realised one day we live, our house is at the edge of our housing development and loads of people walk up and down past our house um, especially in the first few weeks of lockdown, everybody seemed to be taking their daily walk, really important, it was becoming a very important thing. And we have a dog that loves to bark, so every time someone would walk past, the dog would bark. And I became like, oh my goodness, more people are walking. 
And one day the Lord said to me, Michelle, you're like the gatekeeper here. There's one road in and one road out past our house. And the Lord started to show me that he wanted me to pray for our whole estate. He wanted me to really pray for our neighbours. So I found a wee walk that goes around the most of our estate. And I started walking it and praying just that the Lord would begin to, um, that my neighbours would begin to experience the presence and the power of God. And uh, about a week or so into this, I got a message on Facebook from, from someone who'd been following our church online um, and had been following some of our other social media stuff and started to say about how they had reconnected with God again. And uh, they also then dropped into the message that they, they were one of my neighbours, and I didn't know that. And I just don't think that there's a coincidence in that. I think that as we are in our homes now and scattered, that all of a sudden it's like all these lights have gone on all over the place where once there was a light on maybe in, in our buildings on a Sunday morning, that now there's all these lights of the Holy Spirit all through our towns, all through the city, everywhere we are, the presence of God is. So imagine then, imagine today, you're encountering God right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, where you are listening. Later on, you're going to do a family Zoom call. Tomorrow, you might be working from home, homeschooling your children, all from this temple. And your home becomes this place of encounter, daily encounter with the presence of God. You see, really, that should always have been the case. But now, it just seems like we've been thrown into it, haven't we? We can't go to somewhere to worship. We just need to worship exactly where we are. So how do we find our calling? Well, you start something and you start living. Left foot, right foot. You know, and it's in doing these moments, it's in moving forward that you start to realise, what is it? Where is it I'm coming alive? Pay attention to those moments. Where are the moments where you fail? Pay attention to those moments too because it's in failure that you learn who you are and what you're for. Stay in community. One of the big things is if you get around other people who you begin to share your life with, they begin to call out the gold in you. Um, I would not be church planting. I would not be doing what I'm doing leading a church if I hadn't had people around me who began to call that out in Jason and I. I never saw it. It's not something that I ever imagined I would do, certainly not when I left school with field A levels. Um, a couple of months ago when we launched... Um, the church plant in Markerfeld or Sunday services. Um, a guy who I went to school with, him and his wife came along and we were chatting and he just was just about to say to me, um, he, he started to say, I could never have imagined you doing this. And then he stopped himself and he looked at me for a second and then he goes, yeah, I could have always seen you doing this, Michelle. This is not a surprise to me. But when I left school, planting a church was not on my agenda or in any way what I thought I would ever do. But I can look in my life and I can see each step forward and each step that I took further saying yes to Jesus and obedience to whatever was in front of me has led me to this place. So I would say to you, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life right now, pay attention to what brings you life, but also pay attention to the, the small asks of obedience that the Father is asking of you right now because you do not know where they're going to lead. You do not know where they're going to lead, but obedience leads to calling. Discovering your calling in your life. Thirdly and lastly, embrace your limits, know your limitations. Our Matthew, when he was younger, my youngest boy, who's 20, um, wanted to play for Liverpool or be a Formula One driver. 
And I am known in our house as being a bit of a bubble burster because I'm a real realist. So he came to me and said, Mum, I know what I want to do. I want to play for Liverpool. And if I can't play for Liverpool, I want to be a Formula One driver. And I looked at him and I went, son, that is really lovely dreams. And I really hate to uh, squash your dreams, but you're not good enough to ever be a Liverpool player, footballer, even though they're rubbish or they were then, they're a bit better now. Um, and secondly, we don't have enough money for you to be a Formula One driver. So you need to go away and find other dreams. Isn't that awful? And I can just sense all the parents who are watching are like, oh, and she is the worst mother in the world. But you got to know your limits. We all watch X Factor, don't we? And we sit there on our sofas and we go, who were these people's friends who didn't tell them they were terrible before they came on TV? We all got to know our limits. Paul said it like this, Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Different gifts according to grace given to each of us. Again, five bags of gold. Chapter 327, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You receive what you receive from heaven. That is yours to receive. And you receive it as a gift and you work within that limitation. Peter Cazero in his book writes, emotionally healthy people understand the limits God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, two, seven, ten talents God has graciously distributed. As a result, they are not frenzied and covetous, trying to live a life God never intended. They are marked by contentment and joy. Nurture the gifts you have rather than be jealous of those that you don't. We need to know, when you know your calling, you realise you, you know what you're called to, you realise your identity of who God has made you to be and you begin to embrace your limitations, then do you know what? You know what to say no to and you know what to say yes to. One of the most important things I've learned is what to say no to. I can only do what I can do. You can only do what you can do within your limits, within what you're called to and within who God has made you to be. And there is a contentment and an adventure in that that is so freeing. So who are you? What is your identity? Are you, is your identity fixed in God and who God has created you to be? What are you called to do? What were you made for? What did God make you and craft you for? And what are your limitations? What are your limitations and are you um, running yourself ragged, trying to live beyond them? Just now, I want you to put down your phone, your Bible, whatever you have when you're sitting. I don't put down your phone if you're watching on it, but you know what I mean? Anything that could distract you, because I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come right now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, would you come right now into every home, into every room, Lord, where people are sitting on their own and maybe feeling alone, would you come and sit with them? To know your presence, Lord, where families are gathering, would you bring um, your hush and your peace Holy Spirit, come. You are so welcome.
And right now, the Lord wants to begin to break off the curse of comparison over your life. There's some of you and you literally are weighed down by the comparison that you feel in your life. You can't help but look on social media and see how everyone else is living your lives and you just feel like yours is falling short. So right now, God wants to, to take that burden from you and he wants you to begin to live your life how he has created you to be. So right now, Lord, would you break that, that power of comparison over people's lives right now? Yeah. And Lord, I pray for those who know what their calling is and they know they have heard your whisper and they have heard it and they are afraid to step into it. They are afraid of what other people are going to think. They're afraid whether they might fail. And right now, Lord, would you take that fear from them? And I pray that your courage would fill their hearts. I pray that today people would determine in this moment that they are going to walk through and walk out of this lockdown with a fresh, um, clear guide and vision of what it is that they're going to spend their one and only life on. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for your presence. You are so good, Lord.